for words and music for voices and musicians that proclaim the gospel, the people say, Amen. We've been moving through a short series uh, looking at uh, the verses that are in Exodus 20, the Ten Commandments. This is the third and final in this brief series. We read today from Exodus 20, 13 through 17. We've heard the word words once already in our worship. Let's hear them again from this reading. You shall not murder... You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or male or female slave or ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A certain young pastor was interviewing for his first job in a church. There were many of the usual questions about the pastor, about the congregation as they danced and as they discerned if they were right for one another. And then toward the end of the conversation, the final question came to the pastor. And calling him by name, this man said, Do you really love people? Do you really love people? Well, at first, the pastor felt that the question was disingenuous. Was it a trap? Was it a trick question? Of course he loved people. He was thinking to himself, could anyone spend the arduous years preparing for ministry and jumping through all the hoops of ordination and still be unloving of people? As it turned out, the young pastor was indeed called to serve with those people, and they had some wonderful years of ministry together, fruitful, faithful ministry. But that question, that lingering, seemingly disingenuous question, has long been formative for that pastor. And actually, it's formative for all of us as we seek to be God's people. Do you really love people? It may be complicated to try to sum up succinctly what God expects of God's people, but certainly love is going to be at or near the top of the list. If you ask people what God is or who God is or what God is like, I suspect most people would come up with that four-letter word, love. In fact, if you ask people what's most important, what is absolutely essential about living faithfully as God's people, I suspect that word would emerge too. At or near the top, love. It's about love. But the person's question to the young pastor was not asking about what might be the case in theory. Do you love people in theory? That was not the question. It was about real and sincere love acted out in actions in life. And while we may speak the word love all around, as we might say it's essential to lives of faith, the real issue for all of us is, do you really love? Do you really love people? We're all experts at talking about love, at theorizing about love, even within our own families, but we are often clumsy 
or ineffective at sincere love? Do our homes really reflect love? Do they? Well, many days they may not because of all the other things that get layered on top of us. Complicating life. Do our churches really embody love and welcome, compassion and care? Actions that encourage and support one another and make life more wholesome? Do our lives as we go into the world actually embody love? Reflect deep and genuine love and commitment and care and all that love is? Or do our lives reflect something else? It's God's question for us. Our first lesson speaks it pretty clearly as we read it in Romans. Let love be genuine. Hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Outdo one another in showing honor. Or as another translation of that same passage puts it, love from the center of who you are and don't fake it. It's about sincere, real, active, engaged, intentional love. Our lives as God's people. So as we conclude this brief series on the Ten Commandments, we move today to what Ginger alluded to with the children, that second group, the second ten, verses uh, number six through ten. The first tablet reminds us that our lives are about honoring God, living with God vertically, being God's people, being related to the creator of the universe. And then the last five, the second tablet really is about living with one another in our relationships. What do they look like? The second tablet, 6 through 10 commandments, speak about horizontal relationships. And you can see what these commandments are truly about. Do you really love? Do you? Really? Well, more than 150 years ago, the philosopher and the economist John Stuart Mill wrote an essay called On Liberty. In that essay, Mill made the point of how words often lose their meaning. And he said that the best example of this phenomenon of words losing meaning is Christians. Mill argued that Christians possess an amazing ability to say the most wonderful things without really believing them. What do Christians say? What do we say? Blessed are the poor. It's better to give than receive. Judge not, lest you be judged. Love your neighbor as yourself, and on and on. Mill concluded that these sayings of Christ coexist passively in Christians' minds and produce hardly any effect in action. That is an indictment of all of us as Christians. Those Christian words have lost their essential meaning because Christians apparently show, so rarely show love in action. The spiritual writer Dallas Willard argues that we do not really believe, we never really believe unless our lives actually flow from that belief. We can say words that speak our faith. We can repeat them over and over. We can sing them in hymns. We can celebrate them in music. But unless we act in love unless we are rooted in following our lives with actions, we do not really believe. So do you really love people? That's the question God keeps wanting to know from us. And if we really love, 
we live according to the Ten Commandments. If we really love, then do not kill shapes us. This sixth commandment, you shall not murder, could not be more succinct. It means do not take life. That's it. Four words, you shall not murder, do not take life. There are no distinctions. Not in these pages. There are no footnotes that say it's okay to take a life if, for example, the death penalty and appropriate punishment for someone who violated community rules and maybe perhaps uh, we can kill him. Even that is included in earlier text in the book of Genesis. It's okay to do this, Genesis says. But this text quite succinctly says, do not take life. There's no clause that modifies this commandment in regard to warfare, which was a common feature in the life of ancient Israel, which would include, as you know, wars that are holy to Yahweh, which would involve taking life. There's nothing about that here when God is instructing God's people in how to live, how to construct life in a viable neighborhood, how to make the world more wholesome. There's no distinctions, no separate clauses, no footnotes. You shall not murder. Do not take life. That's it. The point here is this. Human life comes from God. And human life is precious. Human beings are made in the image of God, in fact. Every human being. Every human being. Life belongs to God, in other words. So do you love people? Well, how about not going and killing them? That's what it's saying. This is an appropriate and challenging word for us as we seek to construct life in, the, in a viable neighborhood, in downtown Richmond and in these days in the world. This is an appropriate word for us because we're so good at justifying our killing rather than living faithfully as God's people. We hardly blink at the number of killings. Murders on our streets have become so abundant, it's about 35 per day in our country. Now, are we a nation under God when we allow that kind of killing? The war statistics barely get us to blink our eyes. Iraq... Afghanistan, other hot spots around the world, our cherished soldiers are dying. And thousands of others are being killed because of these wars. Our society continues to use the death penalty even in the face of excessive cost of death penalty cases and, and the rising number of people who are apparently innocent who are put to death. Do you love people? You shall not kill them, then, says God. You shall not take life. This commandment is urging us to cherish life at every single turn and awaken us to the sacredness of all life. Never should we take life. Never should we condone the loss of life without realizing how far we're straying 
from God's viable neighborhood, from genuine community that God calls us to live in. God and God's people are to maintain extreme reverence for life and any time we destroy it, including abortion, including acts of retaliation against terror, including anything where life is snuffed out. We are a long way from the viable community that God intends for us. God gives life. Life belongs to God. We're to be people of life. The seventh commandment says, you shall not commit adultery. The seventh commandment celebrates the extreme value of committed relationships and the cherished gift of sexuality between faithful spouses. Do you sincerely love people? Well, then try to honor the integrity of all relationships and especially honor the important intimacy of marriage and the vows that you have made Spousal intimacy is destroyed through adultery, and so is community life. That's the point of this commandment. The prohibition against adultery stakes out the claim that partners in life and partners in marriage share a relationship that's not meant to be compromised or destroyed by the actions of either spouse. When husbands and wives join their lives together, When people commit to one another forever, something sacred comes into being. A home. A family. Something close to life in genuine community. When adultery enters that realm, as many of us sadly know firsthand, trust is violated. Relationships are destroyed. Homes are wrecked. And life falls apart. And in a culture where sex sells almost everything and sexual mores are ever-changing and with many temptations in regard to sex, this command wants to assert an, an eternal truth. The world is held together as people honor their promises, as people honor their marriage vows. The world is held together as we strive for integrity and commitment in our closest relationships. The Eighth Commandment also includes only four words. You shall not steal. You shall not steal. This commandment means that we are not to claim for our own the possessions that belong to someone else. The gist of this command protects both those who have and those who do not have. This commandment wants to order social life, community life for health and wholeness. Do you really and truly love people? Well, don't steal them. Don't steal from them. Now, on one hand, this is not so complicated. What is yours is yours. It's not mine. I'm not going to take it as if it is my own. Most of us live like that. When we go to the store, we pick up our goods and we stand in line and we wait to pay for them. We also know that stealing surrounds us and we have to guard against it. We lock our houses. We keep our cars locked. We secure our goods. We know that temptations can lead to stealing. We even have to protect 
our identities, which may be the most complicated thing that someone could steal from us. But on the other hand, this commandment continues to challenge us as we seek to construct a viable neighborhood, live as God's people in the modern world. Are we stealing when we manipulate laws that benefit a few and leave so many destitute? Are we stealing when our pitiful spending on education leaves so many children disadvantaged in rundown schools with no resources? Are we stealing from the city when we build elaborate complexes further and farther out into the counties and the city falls into disrepair with so many people left behind? Are we stealing from future generations when we use up excessive amounts of the world's natural resources so that we can maintain our lavish lifestyles? Are we stealing when we eat so well, all of us, and two billion people in the world are living off two dollars a day? Do you really love people? This commandment challenges us to think about our priorities and work for a more hopeful city and work for a more hopeful world. Construct a viable neighborhood, says God. Don't get so good at justifying all your actions and straying so far from what a viable, constructive neighborhood looks like. The ninth commandment asserts that we're not to bear false witness. This speaks to the power and to the importance of telling the truth, not elaborating in falsehoods. I'm afraid we've gotten so good at elaborating in falsehoods that our culture doesn't even know what's true anymore. Does the news or the newspaper give us the truth? We're not even sure. Are we insulated from the truth because of who we hang around and where we find ourselves? It's hard to know what is true and what is false about our lives about our church, about our economy, about our political situation, about the turmoil in Afghanistan. What's actually true about that? Who knows? And more. And on and on. And this ninth commandment wants to prevent us from serious perversions of the truth that damage community. The Apostle Paul says, Let love be genuine. Hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. There's no life in bearing false witness. There's no life in living and nurturing falsehoods in any aspect of our life together. The Tenth Commandment is very comprehensive. You shall not covet. You shall not covet. I like this phrase. It is always better to want what you have then have what you want. That's really not the way we live, is it? It's not the way we function in most areas of our lives. Not the way our culture encourages us to function. Want what you have rather than have what you want. We're generally all bent toward envy 
we're all bent toward acquiring. We think we're supposed to acquire. Our culture teaches us to acquire more and more. Have what you want. We're infused with the idea that more is better, especially that person's, my neighbor's. It plays right into this coveting problem and makes us vulnerable to destructive life rather than constructive life. There's this advertisement on television in these days from Ford Motor Company. A young couple is talking with excitement about their new Ford. And someone asked the couple, so how do you feel about yourself? And how do you feel about your new car? And the couple is sitting there and they look at each other and they have this kind of smug grin on their face. And then the guy says, well, I guess we're the Joneses. See, I guess we're now the Joneses. Everybody wants to keep up with us. So much of life feeds this need to keep up with others and to acquire and to covet what is not ours. And we think that's going to make life better. This last commandment, you shall not covet, wants to help us refrain refrain from overwhelming desire, destructive tendencies that destroy community. In fact, the word covet here stems from the same word as lust. As we know, lust emerges from deep within us, and lust can actually drive us to take action. It's not just a wanting, it's a wanting that pushes us to action, to acquire more. Coveting and lust are focused on satisfying the self, gaining something for self. And yet God speaks in these verses and in so many verses in our sacred text that we're to get our minds off the self and work together together to build a better community, construct a viable neighborhood, make the world more wholesome. Do you really love people? Do you? Are you sincere in that love? Then do not lust for that which is not yours that which you do not possess. And do not bear false witness and do not steal and do not commit adultery and do not kill. And especially be careful at all the ways we're so good at justifying how we violate these commands. These commands are offered for the construction of a viable neighborhood, life with God and life in God, as God's people. All of them push against what our culture is so often telling us. All of them call for a deeper, more faithful way of living with God and loving in God's world. May God's Spirit so infuse us with new insight and deeper faithfulness so that we can hear these words and be changed by them and find new ways of living as community in this city and working for peace and wholeness in the world. We are kingdom people. We are called to construct a viable neighborhood, the kingdom of God, following Jesus Christ our Lord. Let us keep working on that, going that way together. Alleluia. Amen. Let us pray. Oh Lord, you show us your way, and you keep showing us your way. Guide us in it today and always. Amen.